You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Once you've completed your work for the day and have clocked out or turned off your computer, how often do you continue to think about work? If you're like me, it can be tough to turn these thoughts off. My mind is always thinking about the different things I have going on and projects within my job. In today's episode, I'm bringing on a psychologist as a guest with a focus on the science of our emotional health. His name is Guy Winch. Guy is a three-times TED Talk presenter, a best-selling author, and the host of a podcast titled Dear Therapists, which is worth checking out because of its unique format. In this episode, Guy explains how we can retrain our minds to turn off work thoughts during our free time, which Guy says is not only important for our overall health, but also our overall effectiveness within our work. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 106. And now here is my conversation with Guy Winch. Guy, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited about this. Actually, just this morning, I re-listened to your TED Talks, which I'll link to in the show notes, but I also want to mention they are just extremely insightful and helpful. And also, you're a captivating speaker, which I really appreciate. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, you know, I don't know if they, if uh, all PhDs I've talked to have not had that same skill. I don't know if they taught you that somewhere <laughs> in school or if that's a, something you learned outside of it. <laughs> I can tell you the secret about where that's from. Please um, do. I, after 9-11 here in New York, decided I need to do something to lighten my life because I was a therapist dealing with everyone, trauma and all of that. So I started doing stand-up for a bunch of years. Wow, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's where you learned this and you applied it to TED Talks later on. That's you, brilliant. <laughs> exactly. That's where you learn to like, not be that anxious on stage and kind of just try and deliver a story or deliver a joke. And so that was a useful school. Fascinating. I love that. That's very cool to hear. And thanks again for being here with us today. So today what we're really going to be discussing is, is mental health. And a bit of a side note to start off with, but this is an important topic to cover because I realize that many entrepreneurs, they understand the importance of prioritizing their physical health. So through hygiene, fitness, nutrition, but we're not putting the same priority on our mental health. And I'd like to hear if you have any thoughts, if we should be prioritizing this the same way or or what that kind of looks like from your studying. At, At this moment in time, if we can just give it the same amount of attention, that would be terrific. I actually think our emotional health is a little bit more important than our physical health because you can have, if you're in great physical health, but you know, you are depressed or anxious or unable to function, it doesn't help you that much. Um, And if you have a lot of physical things going on, but you are positive and optimistic and all of that, then then you're in a better place. Um, So I think I'll just take it if we could give them equal, you know, stage time in our head. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's so important. And I'm not sure why, like, do you have a reason why people don't give it the same priority necessarily? Have you learned anything about that? Yeah, there are the multiple reasons. One of them is just the stigma that's still attached to mental health. And the other is that we have this misunderstanding about what emotional strength and stoicism means. You know, we get our ideas of emotional health from action movies. And what we learn there is that the, the stronger you are, the less feelings you have is the correlation, right? All the action that they face terrible things and yet they don't even blink. And it's, it's so, and that's not a sign of emotional health. That's a sign of actually that you're a little bit blocked emotionally. It's fine to be that way when you're in a war zone because you don't have time to sit and think about your feelings. But, but when you're that way in your real life, 
that's a real miss. And so we think that emotional vulnerability is equal to emotional weakness, and who wants that? When that's actually not the case. Emotional strength is not about our reactions. It's about our bounce back. I'm really glad you brought that up. And just out of curiosity for myself here, are you seeing this shift, the stigma that's, for whatever reason, always been around mental health? Are you seeing a shift happen there? Or is it still something that people are like, oh, you're getting therapy? Why? Right? Like that, that used to be how it was. Are you seeing a shift, though? I'm seeing a shift since COVID, obviously, okay. since the pandemic, because everyone is, I mean, there are just very few people who haven't been stressed, dealing with loss, with uncertainty, with anxiety. There's just very few this hasn't touched. And so suddenly everyone becomes aware, and especially for people in the business world, that, you know, it is very, very difficult. And suddenly how they're dealing with things and how they're finding their motivation, their optimism becomes an issue. And so there's more, a little bit more openness to it now. But I don't yet know if that's going to last or when normalcy returns, everyone is like, ah, fine, let's just get back to ignoring our feelings. Hmm. I, I certainly hope not, but I'm glad for the work that you're doing and thank you for being on the front line there. And again, you've got some great books on this topic. Your TED Talks are incredible. They're, I, they're actually some of the few that I go back and re-listen to on a semi-regular basis because I feel like it, it helps, helps me get in the right headspace. So thank you again for that. And so today, I really want to cover something specific for the Creating Brand listeners, because I realize that many of us being early stage entrepreneurs, we struggle with this idea of turning off our thoughts during time when we're not working. So we're always kind of going in our head with work, no matter where we are, or who we're with. And I realize a lot of people, I just see their eyes glaze over, like they'd be in a conversation, but their head is back at the office, or back home is many of their offices at this point. And I believe it'd be really valuable for us to just talk about some practical ways that we can start turning off these thoughts. But before I do that, before we get ahead of ourselves here, I'd like for you to explain why these thoughts surface in the first place. Like, where do they come from? Why are they there? And just to speak for myself, I often don't feel like I'm in control of this. And to give you a quick example, I'll let you talk here, is that just yesterday, I was actually out riding bikes at the beach with some friends. And uh, this interview popped into my head yesterday. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm interviewing Guy tomorrow. And then I started thinking, oh, well, I don't quite have everything ready. I need to do a little bit more research. I need to make sure that I pick up his book again. And all these different things, right? Like I started just having those go through my mind. And I felt the immediate like stressor in me. And I'm sure it spiked my, my blood pressure for a moment. And it, it didn't ruin my day, but it definitely shifted my mood for a moment there. And I'm not the only one I like to believe that, that kind of struggles with this. So I'd love for you just to, to talk to this point. Why do these thoughts surface in the first place when we really don't want them to? Well, because they're often in the category of intrusive thoughts. And that means that they're more like ruminations. In other words, if during your bike ride there was a quiet moment and you were thinking, oh, I know, I'll have a good question I'll ask Guy tomorrow, or, um, oh, I know who I could contact for our next guest, those are fine thoughts. Those are not stressful thoughts. The problem becomes when the thoughts are stress thoughts or so thoughts that elicit stress because they're not really productive. They're more like ruminations in the form of, oh my God, I'm not ready for this interview yet. I'm not ready for this interview yet. What am I going to do? I'm not ready for the interview. You're on a bike ride. There's not anything you can do in that moment. And so all that does is take your attention away, even for a short time from the bike ride. Or another one that people uh, tend to have is they'll think of a, a nasty exchange they had with a colleague or with a boss, and they'll just replay it in their minds. They'll tend 10 people about it when they when they get home, they're not trying to resolve it or figure it out or like, how do I correct that relationship? How do I set limits in the future? How do I do this or that? Or what can I extract from that or learn from that? They're not doing that. They're just replaying. And what you notice when you do that is that you are feeling it viscerally in your chest, in your throat, in your shoulders. The tightness, rumination just reactivates a stress response. 
and there's the problem. You are therefore flooding your body with cortisol and you are increasing the stress response when you're not in the situation. So ruminations and to ruminate, the definition that I know is it simply means to think deeply about something. Is there, do you describe that differently or is that the same definition yeah, well, that you the use? The actual definition, it means to chew over and, the, and it comes from how cows digest food. Cows, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, um, they, they chew, then they swallow, then they regurgitate, chew and swallow again. And it's, you know, it's kind of disgusting, but they do it to extract nutrition. And when we do it as people, we're actually not extracting much nutrition because by chewing over, we're not chewing over the good parts. We're not chewing over the happy times. We're chewing over the problems and we're doing it in a way that is just regurgitative. It's like people can have that same thought over and over and think about that same thing about like a breakup scenario or something like that that people can replay the same thing over and over again in their mind to you know and they're not getting anything out of it so that's what the word comes from but what we know is that the more you ruminate about work when you're not at work and again rumination is not creative thinking it's not excited thinking it's not actually doing work it's just things like oh i've got so much work to do or oh i have this difficult meeting tomorrow without actually taking steps to prepare for it the more you do that the more likely you are to have a bad mood to have bad sleep to eat unhealthy foods to have more stress to put yourself at risk for uh, all kinds of, of, of heart disease and to disengage uh, from your family and ruin your relationships. To name a few things, right? To name I mean, a few. There actually is a longer list, yes. Oh my gosh. And ruminations are involuntary though. There's nothing that we can do to, to like keep them from coming up, right? These are just thoughts that enter your mind or is there, I mean, obviously we're getting some practical ways to, to do this, but it, it's not necessarily something that you've just signed up for, right? Well, they start as an involuntary thought. Okay. But then the question is, what do you do with that thought? Are you catching it and labeling it as a ruminative, unproductive form of thinking, or are you indulging it? And the problem is ruminations or intrusive thoughts in general are very, very compelling. It feels like we really should track this, this thought of like, and replay again the, you know, how our boss told us we're not getting the promotion or how we didn't get funding for this and the conversation. We just replay it over and it feels very compelling. But it, it again, it has no utility. And, and, and the, the thing is that you, you, once you catch that, you have to do something to, uh, you know, to, to derail that train because the more you repeat a ruminative thought, think of it like a record, and I'm dating myself, obviously, but like a record and a needle that we used to have records and needles, and, and the more you pass that around, the deeper the groove goes, the deeper the groove goes. That means the more compelled you'll be to think about it again and again. So you really have to catch that cycle and interrupt it as soon as you can. Wow, that, that's a very interesting metaphor there for that. And uh, by the way, records are really coming back in style. Most of my Excellent. friends now have record players. I haven't yeah, gotten vinyl. Yet. I mean, yeah. there you go, right? Yeah. There so, you so you're right. That, that's not. That's like a new. Uh, that, that's like a new example. That's now. what I meant to say. It's a new right. thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the, these thoughts, like again, they're the ones that that don't necessarily lead anywhere productive. How can you sometimes decipher? Is it always really clear, like if the thought's going to be a good one or a bad one or not? Like, how do you know if you should follow it through in that moment or not? And, and do you recommend always writing it down or what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, because you've had it before and more than once. In other words, if you keep going back to it like an attractor, like it just keeps tugging you back to that. Oh, I remember that that expression on their face when they said this to me and you keep going back and you keep, you know, getting annoyed about it each time. How many times before you realize, OK, this is the fourth time I'm replaying that exact conversation or looking at that text and be like, oh, or, or composing a counter argument in my head that I actually haven't 
planned to even issue, but just for my own satisfaction, well, I should have said this, and I should have said that, and that's pointless because what you should have said is not relevant. It's what you're going to do now that's relevant. So thinking about I should have said this and replaying it with these fantasy heroic moments perhaps of, oh, and then I would have said this and this would have happened, it doesn't make you feel better because that's not what you did. So even though it seems so in the moment. So when you've had the thought more than a few times, it's a rumination because this is not a new thought and you're not coming up with new things um, that thought is, is pointing you towards. Yeah. How have you been able to just, I would like to know for, for you, or how do you even teach some of your, your patients, people you work with, how to combat this? Because I think that even for me, I'm thinking like if my head starts going down some of these, these thoughts that you're even mentioning, I don't always know how to stop myself at that point. And yes, I, I know I'm in control and technically could, but it's really difficult not to replay something in my head and think of 10 ways I would have done it better, right? We've, we've, all, we've all done that. And I've been guilty of doing that even after interviews. Like interviews could go great. And, I, and sometimes I'm just like, oh, if I would have asked Guy that one more question, I think that would have been really helpful. And I kind of replay that. And I don't know, to a certain extent, like it's, it's really hard for me to feel in control in that moment to not do that. Well, that's a great, great example that you brought up about the interviews because the interview's done. So right. there is no utility in that thought unless that thought is, huh, um, I could have asked that question. Therefore, why did I not think of that beforehand? How might I think of that again? What is the theme there of things that I keep forgetting to ask this kind of question? So put a reminder, in other words, if you're trying to extract a takeaway, a new perspective, a lesson learned, all very, very useful. But if it's just every time, and, and you know where I, I experienced this? I, I was talking with a few musicians, professional musicians, who had been on The Voice, that, that, uh, the, that program, and they were telling me that they sometimes cannot listen to a single that they've already released because they keep thinking of what they would have done differently. And I, and I said to them, like, to the extent that you're doing live performances and that will tell you, okay, in the live performance I want to do this, great. But if you're not going to do that again, what possible utility is there in just lamenting what you could have done that you can't change? And so the important thing for people is to, when you do that, catch it, label it as a rumination, label it as unuseful. Because that's your first sign, and then once you've labeled it the first time, you'll catch it more quickly the second and the third and the fourth. And so, first of all, label it that way. And then, let's talk about what you can do. So, for example, you were taking a bike ride when you thought of the interview. If you would have stopped in that moment, looked at your phone, looked at your calendar and said, oh, I'm going to earmark 30 minutes when I get home to be better prepared, you would have been able to put that aside entirely. Because you made a plan. And so there was no need for you to think about, oh, I'm not prepared. No, I know I'm not, but I have time. So, and you would have taken care of it. Right? Um, and if after thinking about the interview, I wish I would have asked this, you would have said to yourself, okay, well, next time, uh, make a list of 20 questions you want to ask, even if you only get to ask 10, because then you might cover and then you can prioritize them and find the more important ones, whatever the takeaway is. But if you take action to kind of, quote unquote, fix it, resolve it, learn something from it, the urge to ruminate about it will decrease. So basically, I really like this. You're taking something that's completely not helpful thinking and mindset and flipping it into something that can actually be constructive and help you. And you're not stuck festering on it, right? And thinking about it for a long, a long period of time, right? Right. People always say to me, well, you're a psychologist. Isn't all self-reflection good? And I'm like, no, not at all. There is very, and rumination is an example, unhealthy form of self-reflection. Yes, you're self-reflecting, but to no positive end. And so you want to convert the unhealthy self-reflection into healthy or productive self-reflection, and then you're golden. But you have to, but that's, but again, this is where emotional health 
is tricky because you have to disengage the autopilot. You have to be aware that there can be unhealthy forms of self-reflection. You have to be aware that you're doing it. You have to catch it, label it, and then sustain the emotional discomfort of not following that train of thought, but actually doing something else that would be better, because your natural instinct is to follow that train of thought. So, so you really have to be very intentional and knowledgeable about what you're doing to be able to have these positive habits. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. So talking about disengaging that autopilot, this is a great transition into talking about some practical ways we can turn off these work thoughts during our free time. I'd love for you just to share some ways we can begin better managing these thoughts. We can kind of discuss them on the way, but what do you have for us or things that you say these will work and help you to begin disconnecting from those thoughts? So first of all, let's all come to an understanding that we need to recover and recharge when we have stressful jobs. And entrepreneurs have very stressed. You know what you know entrepreneurs have in common with the pandemic? No. Uncertainty, anxiety, stress, often loneliness because it's them in their own head trying to, to get something going. And and so and so to recognize, first of all, that 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 you finding time to de-stress, to recharge is super, super important. Otherwise, A, you'll get burnt out, B, you'll be so exhausted, and, 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 and you'll be less productive, and everything will begin to feel like a chore. And especially for entrepreneurs, you have to try and maintain the excitement and the motivation for what you're doing. And I'm telling you, burnout will suck that right out. So it's super, super, super important. So first of all, recognize, wow, recharging is really important. Then create guardrails so you know when your downtime is. You have to define for yourself, when am I switching off? And be very clear to then protect that time to indeed switch off and try and do the things that are recharging, that are connective, that are exciting you know, for you, that are nourishing emotionally for you. Those are the just very basics, like accept that recharging is a responsibility you have toward yourself and your future idea. Yeah, and recharging can look a little bit different for each of it, but each of us, but it does start with this like freeing your mind first off, right? But it's then it's an action that you take outside of that, am I correct? Correct. In other words, you, it, we are each individuals in terms of what it is that makes me feel um, more recharged or more relaxed. Now, for some people, it can be, um, I just want to lie down and read a book, or I just want to zone out and watch TV, and then I kind of empty my mind and I relax. For some people, it means I want to go run a half marathon because that helps me you know, recharge, which looks very different than zoning out and watching or binging uh, TV. Um, for some people, it can be a very social thing. Extroverts recharge on, um, on, on being out and being social. Introverts recharge on having one-to-one -one or quiet time. It's just know yourself and know what it is that does it for you. But what are your passions? What are the things that really make you feel like you? What are the things that you get excited to do? Those are good recharging activities for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I like that. I probably weigh more on the marathon side, like working out, but definitely not, I'm not going to do a half marathon. That doesn't sound like fun or, or a full one. Well, but, not in um, an afternoon <laughs> because, you know. No. Right. And I'm, and I'm on your side. I, I, I'm not the kind of person who takes beach vacations because for me that's 
slightly tortuous, to be honest. I can't, I cannot, I cannot even sit on a beach. Everyone who knows me knows, like, I love the beach, but I will pace. I will walk, you know, uh, and, and, and I love vacations in which I'm learning things and seeing new things or doing new things or being active. Um, that's me, but, but just know yourself, know what works for you. Yeah, that's great. Now, here's a question. While you're doing these things, because a lot of us love the sound of that, we have this certain device that's probably in our hand or in our pocket at that same time. And most of us have instant access to everything that we do work-wise, personal, everything, right? It's, it's all right here in our hands. What are your thoughts on setting up some sort of guardrail with your phone as well, especially while you're trying to recharge, if you will? Right. Well, I, I think in that TED Talk, I, I call the phone a, like a Trojan horse that yeah, like, slips yeah. into your defenses and, and kind of and then all the warriors come out and keep, you know, notifications and activations. You will notice that if your phone is by your side and you're, let's say, watching television or you're talking to someone, count how many times I'm going to say an hour, but truly even a minute you glance over and look at it because it's your portal to the world. It's your portal to communication, to news, to updates, to everything. Um, and but that it's also an incredible time suck and it's also very very distracting and it's an attention grabber certainly it'll take you away from the activities that you want to be charged uh, on doing and so if you can disable notifications great if you know you need to check emails then decide okay if I'm switching off at seven o'clock I'll check them once at nine for ten minutes and I'll you know do it all then but take charge so that you're controlling when you're using the phone, because if you really think about it, the phone is controlling you, and you need to wrestle back that control. So you decide when I'm looking at the phone, not the phone kind of keeps winking at us like, oh, look, my screen just flashed a bit. Something's interesting may be happening. And usually there's nothing interesting happening. Or even if there is, you're busy doing something else. Take control of that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Actually, this point spoke so much to me. The listeners won't be able to see this, but on my phone, I literally <laughs> uh, I put a Trojan Very horse good. on because nice. of because of your talk that I heard. And I've gotten so many questions about like, why do you have a Trojan horse on your on your phone? I'm like, oh, because that's what it actually is. And people have me explain it. <laughs> so basically, I've turned into a point. Great. Yeah, I've turned into a, a, a great um, lead magnet for you, yes. sending people to your your TED talk. Um, but no, it really spoke to me because I, I realized I was like, oh, I'm. I'm this phone made me free. Like I can, I can be anywhere and work. And then I realized, same realization you had. Oh, I can be anywhere and work. And yeah. it's a very dangerous thing. So what I actually did is I turned off all. I just call them non-essential notifications, and I deleted all the social media apps. All that stuff is is just gone from my phone because it helps me recharge when I'm not doing those things. Like yeah, I want to if I see the notification go off, but if I don't even see it, I don't miss it at all. And so that's been a really strong point for me. It's been very helpful for me personally. When people, people say that to me, it's such an interesting thing you said, because people say that to me all the time, that when I am somewhere, let's say I'm at a, at a, on a trip and I, there's no Wi-Fi or I'm at a conference and I'm just very, very engaged with people or I'm just like, you know, in meetings, but, you know, productive meetings and this, I don't miss my phone at all. I suddenly like, you know, for the first few minutes, it's like, no, I don't really need to check social media. I don't really need it. it but that's the addictive quality of it. When you're kind of, you know, really, uh, um, you know, going a little bit like cold turkey, you don't really miss it. But, don't, but when you have it around, you want to check it all the time. Right. Yeah. And a, a simple thing that I've done is actually the end of the day, I, same thing that you were talking about. I just have a, a certain hour that past that I'm not going to work. And I actually just got in the habit of plugging my phone into the charger. I put on airplane mode overnight and I just I'm done for the day. And that's been very freeing. It's helped me a lot mentally, I think, even more than physically, just continuously checking it. My mind turns off from work mode because I don't have this device that's for work in front of me. So that's been a really helpful point. Now, that actually leads me into another question I have here. Many of us 
more than ever, I'd say, we lack a physical boundary between work and home because for many of us, that's now the same place, especially early entrepreneurs. If they're in a startup, they might have already made this shift years ago. But how do we have a mental boundary when our physical boundary hardly exists? Do you have any ideas for this? Right. So I spoke about this in, in, in the talk in that I, when there is no physical boundary, you have to create a psychological one. And that means you have to find ways to create the boundary and then ritualize the transition. So, for example, I always suggest to people, wear clothes that you associate with work when you're working from home, right? That, that you associate with work. And at the end of the day, change clothes, change the lighting. Let the people around you know that you're done, which I think is super important because it also sets their expectations because then 15 minutes later when they catch you scrolling through emails, but wait, you said you'll be done. You know, and <laughs> right. uh, uh, yeah. good point, should be done. Um, let them know, like, play different music. I had somebody tell me very early in, in the pandemic last year, they said, you know, I developed a great technique. I home with like four kids, but I'm in my room and I'm working. I come out of my room, I leave, get in my car, drive around the block, come in and say, Daddy's home. And my kids are like, yeah, you just left. <laughs> but for me, it puts, you know, it puts, he said, it puts me in this mindset of I just came home. So now I'm present. It's a psychological device he used or came up with to reset himself into that. No, now I'm in home mode. So do those things. And I like ritualizing the transition. If there's a certain music you can listen to that kind of sets you free, from work or something that you can do or really the, the clothes, the lighting, but you have to do it in a way that you are announcing to yourself and signaling to yourself that I am transitioning out of work mode into personal life. I'm a music junkie myself. So I, I really like that idea of maybe having a certain playlist for work and a certain one yes. for if I'm not working. That's a yes. really, I think for me, that would actually be really helpful. And now that I think about it, the other day when I was on the on the, the beach, that example, I, I just made this realization. I'm pretty sure I started thinking about this interview because the song that my buddy had on, he was playing music. I'm pretty sure it's one that was on my work playlist. And that's probably right. what triggered that, which is actually very interesting. Um, music is obviously a powerful tool. So I, I like that one a lot. Do, do you have anything else on this topic that you think is helpful with maybe making it a ritual? Has there been anything else that you've used or maybe some of your, your patients or clients? I, you know, the, the, the different kinds of, I mean, yes, just think about what your task is now. In other words, if you're transitioning to your personal life, what is it about this evening? If it's just about truly nothing, I'm just going to veg out and binge TV for a couple of hours, then say to yourself, time to veg out and binge TV in your own head. Because even that statement in your own head is reminding you, I have permission now. I'm giving myself permission to do this. I'm not doing something wrong. Because entrepreneurs are always thinking there's more I can do. And the problem is, there's probably always more they can do. But you need to have that boundary regardless. So if you've decided this is my time to not work, remind yourself, this is my time to not work. Or I really want to connect with my partner because I haven't really spoken with them in a, in a, in a deeper way. Or here are the friends I want to uh, connect with. Or I'm going out to dinner. Good. Let me just really be mindful of the food, be mindful of the company, be mindful of this. So we have to be intentional in how we spend our, our free time and intentional about the fact that it is recharging recover time. I love that. It's so powerful. Guy, this has been an extremely insightful conversation. And before we end this episode, I wanted to know if you have any final thoughts for the listeners. The most important thing I think people need to understand about emotional health is that it's a very individual thing. It's not a one size fits all. And so you kind of have to get to know yourself 
you kind of have to get to know your own vulnerabilities, your own strong points. Some people say to me, I don't have any problems at all disengaging from work. Great. Not your problem there. You might have others or you might have none. But get to know what that poison is for you. And the most important thing, some people say, well, but you know, there's just too much to do, so I don't have an option. And I'm like, you have to think of this long term. If you're going to burn yourself out, then there's no point in having short-term success if you won't be able to deliver on the long-term deliverables or strategy or whatever it is you need to do. We are a finely tuned machine. Our brain is a finely tuned machine. But I always say it might be the most powerful machine in the universe. It requires adult supervision. You, uh, you need to actually be thoughtful and not just let your mind do what it does. You need to take over and do what you know to be healthy for your mind. Our mind needs adult supervision. I, I love that. I think that's a great way to end the episode. Guy, thank you so much for being a guest and spending this time with us today. It's been my pleasure. Since having Guy on the podcast, I've begun implementing many of the actionable points that he shared, and I'm already noticing a difference in my ability to turn off my work thoughts during my free time. Not only does Alicia, my wife, and our friends appreciate this, but also my mind feels more clear so I'm able to think about work better while I'm working. I encourage you to also take action from what you learned in this episode. Guy, thank you again for being a guest and helping us all to understand the importance of prioritizing our emotional health. For links to Guy Winch's TED Talks, books, and his podcast, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 106. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.